you please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. As you turn there, uh, beloved brothers and sisters, I want to say I love you and I consider it one of the great privileges and joys of my life uh, to be set apart by you to preach God's Word, to study the Bible, and to tell you what it says. And uh, God's Word uh, makes us sing, but sometimes God's Word also stings. And uh, so I want you to hear everything that I say. My calling is to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God, both the comforting portions and those portions that correct us. So I want you to hear everything I say this morning as an attempt to be faithful to God's Word and coming out of a heart of love for the Lord and for you. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's pray one more time. Oh Lord, how we need you. And we ask, Lord, that you would make your word come alive to us this morning. Glorify your Son in us by your Spirit. In his name we pray. Amen. We didn't even know where we were anymore. That's how my friend John described the situation when I actually called him this week to learn more about this predicament in which he and a couple of his friends found himself. You see, John and a number of other friends, they're from another church in this country, they had gone on a camping trip uh, in Fujaira near Snoopy Island on the beach. And they put up their tents and uh, then later they decided they were going to use this inflatable raft and go out into the uh, sea there and spend some time floating around uh, Snoopy Island. If you haven't heard of Snoopy Island, it's a popular holiday destination in the United Arab Emirates. So John and his friends inflated the raft and then he said, okay, we're going to be gone for a little while. So he left his phone in his tent. Uh, they had gone as a big group, kind of a little men's retreat from the church. And so he and two others got in the inflatable raft and set out into the sea. And he said, uh, we were floating around just having fun over there and we weren't paying attention uh, to the fact that it was quite windy that evening. We weren't paying attention to the wind. So we also weren't paying attention to the fact that it was getting dark. It was late in the evening, it was getting dark and we were just floating around and all of a sudden I noticed that we were quite far out than we initially were. We were further out than I thought we were. And then soon I realized that the people on the shore are becoming, you know, smaller and smaller. And then I realized that we are further away from the island as well. And all of a sudden there was this sense of alarm that they were drifting. And he said, so we started paddling to try and find our way back. But the more we tried to paddle, the more the currents began to sweep us away further and further. The friends on the beach had no idea where these guys were. And they thought, oh, John and the other two have gone out, you know, for a little fishing expedition. Uh, let them have their fun. It came to night. The others on the beach went to sleep in their tents. And John said, soon we had no idea where we were. We were getting desperate. We were out on the open sea. And they spent 12 hours drifting on the open sea. 
The next morning, everyone else woke up on the beach wondering, where are these guys? They called the police. And John said, you know, as the sun rose and we were out there, he said, I couldn't see. I was completely disoriented. Didn't know where we were. Didn't know how we're going to get back. And all we were doing was three of us. They were sitting there in the raft. They were praying. And then he said, praise God for his mercy. Uh, Some people uh, in a fishing boat happened to see them. And then came the rescue. You know, drifting out on the open sea is dangerous. You can lose all sense of where you are. They had drifted out several kilometers away from land. But drifting on the sea is not as dangerous as drifting spiritually. And the only way to avoid spiritual drift is by paying attention to God's word. That's what we're going to see in our text this morning. You see, the book of Hebrews is like a highway. It's like a highway with two major lanes. Lane one is the lane of exposition, where the author picks up a passage or theme of the Old Testament and he exposits it. He explains how it comes to fulfillment in Christ. Exposition. The other lane is the lane of exhortation. And the author will move often from the lane of exposition to the lane of exhortation where he cautions and warns those who are reading, listening to this word. So today, he is moving from exposition to exhortation. Last week, we saw the greatness and supremacy of Christ. Now, in light of the greatness and supremacy of Jesus and the revelation that has come in Christ, the author is going to warn and exhort his hearers to pay attention to Jesus so as not to drift. You see, in their suffering and affliction, many of these Jewish Christians had grown lethargic. They had grown casual. They had stopped paying attention. They were drifting from God's word. They were drifting from God's people. Some of them had stopped gathering with the church. Some of them were tempted to go back to Judaism. Now, we might not temp- be tempted to return to the Jewish religion, but we are tempted to become inattentive to God's word and to return to former ways and patterns of life. And just like these Hebrew Christians were losing attention, we tend to lose our attentiveness to the word of God. We tend to drift. In fact, many in our church are drifting haplessly, even now. And we need this warning. We need exhortation from this passage. And so my friends, the word of God is going to give us a wake-up call this morning. That we might become alarmed, even disturbed, concerned about the dangers of spiritual drift. And so that we might pay attention to what God has spoken in His Son. So let's read the text, Hebrews 2 verses 1 to 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape 
if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So in this text, we see one primary command, one major command, and then three reasons for this command. One command, three reasons that support the command. First, the command. The command is simply this, pay attention. Pay attention. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. When the author says, therefore, it means that he is speaking in light of everything that he has said so far. In light of what he has said in chapter 1. What we have seen the past two weeks in our walk through Hebrews. Because Jesus is God's final word. The supreme revelation of who God is. Because Jesus is God's divine son who is enthroned in majesty on high. Because Jesus is the only one who makes purification for sins. Because Jesus is vastly superior to the angels in his status, in his substance, in his salvation. Therefore, therefore, the author says, we must pay closer attention. Notice what he says we must pay attention to. He says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Friends, the heart of Christianity is a message. It's not merely an emotional experience. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not even immersion in a community of people. No, primarily, fundamentally, it's a revelation, a message from God. You see, the God of the Bible, the one true God, is a God who speaks and reveals himself. From the beginning, he has been speaking. He spoke and created all things. He has spoke, spoken to us and has given us the revelation of himself. And all sin at its root is a failure to hear and to heed God's word. And God has spoken to us, we have seen, supremely, finally, completely in His Son, in the revelation of the Scriptures. He has spoken in His Son, who was eternally God the Son, who took on flesh, who died on the cross, bearing the punishment for sinners, so that whoever repents, turns from sin, and trusts in Him, receives forgiveness of sin and eternal life. This is the central message of the Scriptures. And this message comes to us in God's own words, in God's inspired words in the Bible. How do we pay attention to it? Well, we must keep on hearing it. This word comes real to us. It becomes real to us. It comes alive to us. It sinks down into our hearts through the preaching of the scriptures. Remember what Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In fact, the author will show us that we encounter Jesus Christ himself, the son of God himself, 
when the scriptures are preached, when we gather with God's people and hear the Bible proclaimed. In chapter 12 and verse 25, referring to the act of preaching, referring to his own sermon, the author says, see to it that you do not refuse the one who warns you from heaven. Friends, when we hear the preaching of God's word, we encounter Jesus and hear him speak to us. His word dwells in us through the community of faith in the local church. And his word must be heard. When we gather here each week, when we open our Bibles, and when Jesus is proclaimed from the scriptures, we are encountering the risen reigning Lord. The matters that we are dealing with are not minor or casual. No, these are matters of life and death. These are matters of heaven and hell, of eternal destiny. These are matters of the utmost importance. And what is of utmost importance demands our utmost attention. To pay attention to something, you must recognize its value. Hearing God's word, this is what produces faith in our hearts. This is what keeps our hearts warm and soft from getting hardened. This is what keeps us growing in faith. We need God's word. Without it, we are doomed. We must pay close attention to it. What does that mean, to pay attention Pay closer attention. Uh, the ter term that the author uses there in the original language conveys a sense of reverence, of readiness, of resolution to obey. This must be the disposition of our hearts as we come to read God's word each day, as we come to hear God's word preached. Reverence, readiness, a resolution to live by these things. A hunger, a passion to pay attention. Oh, brothers and sisters, I see this hunger and I see this attention and this reverence in your eyes each week as I preach Christ to you. And I praise God for that. Praise the Lord. May His work in you continue. May He grow you more and more. Keep on paying attention, dear brother, dear sister. But I want to talk about another phenomenon. You know, I did an interesting exercise this week on the staff. Uh, we decided to look at some of our YouTube statistics. Never an encouraging thing to do. And we actually pulled up what is the average watch time for the live stream videos that go out each week. How much time do people actually spend watching this? Anyone want to guess what the average view time is? About 19 to 21 minutes. It's barely half the sermon. It's less than 20% of the service. Dear friends, that's not paying attention. And you bet even that 19 to 21 minutes is a distracted 19 to 21 minutes as you have other windows open on the browser or you're relaxing at home or driving in your car or multitasking doing other things. That's not paying attention. I want to speak to you if you're in the habit 
of being absent from here and just trying to watch online. If you're watching online, if you're hearing me online, dear friend, I want to speak to you this morning. This is why repeatedly for months and months now, we have sought to urge you, to plead with you, to caution you concerning the need to gather with the church. I often hear people tell me I attended online. Friends, there is no such thing as attending online. By nature of being online, it means that you are not attending. You are merely watching. And it is really, really hard to pay attention with a reverent disposition. God in His wisdom knows that we need to be gathered with the community of His people and sit under His word. This is why He has commanded us clearly in His word to gather physically for worship, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for worship, to pay attention to what we hear. Think again of the context of this letter. These Christians were in danger of losing their faith. They were tempted to leave Christianity. Some of them had become habitually absent from gathered worship for fear of persecution. That becomes very clear in chapter 10, in verses 25 and following, where the author gives one of the most terrifying warnings in the entire New Testament. He says to them that we must not neglect the gathering of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. The need for comfort and ease in their former way of life. The comfort of the Jewish religion was tempting them to abandon Christ. If they are to persevere in the faith and not fall away, what must they do? What does the author say they must do? We must pay much closer attention to God's word. The great Puritan pastor of the 17th century, John Owen, who wrote seven volumes, magnificent volumes on Hebrews, says this, and I'll paraphrase him for ease of understanding. He says, faithful attention to the preaching of the gospel is absolutely necessary to persevere in the profession of the gospel. Let me say that again. Faithful attention to the preaching of the gospel is absolutely necessary to persevere in professing the gospel. Without paying attention to God's word, we can never keep our faith firm unto the end. Now, one of the most common causes of death in the UAE, the, the second most common cause after cardiovascular disease, is car accidents that result from distracted driving. I looked this up, it was quite sobering. It says that when you're texting and driving, the likelihood of you getting in a collision is 23 times higher when you're distracted by texting. Someone who's texting and driving, it's six times more dangerous than driving while drunk. When driving on Sheikh Zayed Road, distraction, not paying attention, can cost you your life. But not paying attention to God's word will cost you much more. It will cost you eternity. 
half-hearted listening, half-hearted hearing leads to death and destruction. So that's the command. We must pay attention. And then the author gives us three reasons for this command. Three reasons we must pay attention to God's word. First, we must pay attention because of the danger of drift. The danger of drift. Look again at verse 1. He says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Why must we pay attention? Because otherwise we drift. Now the word that is used for drift here, normally describes the kind of drift that you see out on sea, on the ocean. Like my friend John that I told you about. This word is also used often to describe you know, something slipping away, like a ring that might imperceptibly slip off your finger or something slipping out of your mind. In other words, what it connotes is something that happens without you even being aware that it happened. Like a ship that, uh, whose anchor has come loose from the bottom of the seabed and then it begins to drift and crashes into rocks. It's something that happens without you noticing it, without you being cognizant of it. It happens unnoticed. You don't realize while it's taking place. You've drifted and drifted and all of a sudden you don't even know where you are anymore. See, no one decides overnight that they're not going to be a Christian anymore. Now, C.S. Lewis once said, if you examine a hundred people who lost their faith in Christianity, it would be very unusual to find someone who was honestly reasoned out of it, you know, where they evaluated the arguments and then decided, well, I'm not going to be a Christian this day forward. He said, most people simply drift away. Friends, there is no neutral in the Christian life. Either you're moving forward in faith, giving yourself to growth through attention to God's word, or you're in danger of drift. And we are all prone to this drift. Every single one of us. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What are the causes of this drift? Well, there are many causes. Prosperity. Peace. Comfort. Things are going really well. All is good in life. You grow comfortable and begin to forget God. Or persecution and affliction. That's what these Christians were facing. The threat of persecution. Suffering. Led them to grow weary and begin to drift. And then the other one is mere temptation. Temptation which comes in many different forms and shapes. These are like rip currents in the ocean, that sweep you away in the drift. The temptation of career advancement, of giving yourself wholly and completely only to your work. The temptation of financial security, the pursuit of money, money, money. The temptation of recreation, hobbies, entertainment, all good things, but bad things if they draw your heart away from God. I've seen so many Christians begin to drift just because they put a hobby first and primary above Christ. The temptation of sexual sin. Oh, how many men have fallen, drifted 
fallen away because of giving in to the addiction and lust of pornography. And then the temptation to a constant need for safety. Safety and comfort. What are the signs and symptoms of this drift? How do you know when you're drifting, when someone is drifting? Friends, I've been in ministry for a while. I've seen several different people begin to experience drift. And let me tell you, it always, always, always begins with a habitual absence, a regular absence from gathered worship. Chronic absence from worship is the first step, the first deadly step towards backsliding. And then an absence from fellowship with other believers begins to lead to an absence of fellowship with God Himself not living in communion with God through the word of God and through prayer. And then the heart begins to grow cold and indifferent to the Lord and His people. And the conscience begins to grow numb. The conscience begins first by finding excuses, excusing yourself for sin. Then the conscience begins to tolerate sin. Eventually the conscience begins to become completely comfortable with sin. No, as one pastor put it, where there is no hunger for God's word and God's people, there is neither faith nor love for Jesus. And the repercussions, the consequences of drift are deadly. People get completely deceived, deluded, living in an alternate reality than the reality that scripture teaches us. Now, maybe you've heard of the harrowing incident involving the USS Indianapolis in World War II. This was a major ship that was sunk when it was hit by a Japanese tornado, or a torpedo. It was hit by the torpedo in the Pacific Ocean. The entire ship sunk in 12 minutes and 900 of the sailors were drifting in the open ocean for several days before they were rescued just drifting out at sea on rafts, on pieces of wood. And as they drifted, they began to lose their minds. Drifting out there with no food, no water, surrounded by an infinite mass of ocean, clear seawater. By the third day, some of them began to hallucinate. So one guy would imagine that we could drink this water and dozens of others would follow and they would take big gulps of seawater and immediately die to saltwater poisoning. Someone else would suddenly say, oh, there's an island, there's a strip of land over there. Again, seeing, seeing images, hallucinating. And several others, they would all begin to exert all their energy trying to swim towards this mirage. And then they were quickly drowned as their muscles gave way. Still others were consumed by sharks. That's what's happened in the church, isn't it? We got hit by this torpedo called the COVID-19 pandemic. And now many are drifting, even deceived by this illusion that everything is all right 
Everything is fine. My faith with God is all right. I'm okay even if I don't go to church. It's fine. Yet they are getting poisoned or completely wearing out or being utterly consumed on the brink of total and complete destruction of their faith. And this should cause us great alarm, great concern, brothers and sisters. You look around and you see there are brothers and sisters of yours, members of ECC, who have been gone for months and months now. Some of them you haven't even seen for two years. Where are they? How are they doing? Are they walking with the Lord? Does that not disturb you, dear friends? It disturbs me. It weighs heavily. It weighs so heavily on my heart, on the heart of our elders, the shepherds of this church. This is our responsibility, dear brethren, to call them, to pursue them, to wake them up, to seek to bring them back from their wandering. When I speak of drifting, that might be you this morning. That might be you, dear friend, watching online. If you are watching this online and you have made it a habit not to attend gathered worship, if you've been disconnected from God's word and from God's people, hear my plea to you, wake up. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that you're fine. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been drifting and in the great mercy and gracious providence of God, he has brought you here today to hear this word. He has brought you today, even as your heart has been growing cold. I want to speak to you, dear friend. Would you hear God's call to you to wake up, to watch out, to pay attention? There is still time to be rescued from drift. And I pray that you might not drift, that you would instead be diligent in seeking the Lord in the company of his people. Pay attention to his word. Return to the only one who can save your soul from destruction. Not only must we pay attention because of the danger of drift. The author gives us a second and more terrifying reason that we must pay attention to God's word. And that is because of the severity of punishment. We must pay attention because of the severity of punishment. Look at verses 2 and 3. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The author is making here what we call an argument from the lesser to the greater. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And this is commonly illustrated in this way. Now imagine if you meet me after the worship service and I say, hey, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, you know, how was the word this morning? And you just spit in my face and you get in your car and drive off. What would be the consequence of doing that? Well, I would pray for you. You probably wouldn't face much by way of law. I'm not going to do anything to you. But then on your way home, you're stopped by a police officer. And uh, he asks you, stops you to, says, I want to ask you a few questions. And then you spit in his face. And you decide to drive off. What would be the consequences of doing that? Well, 
would be a little bit more than the consequences of spitting in Pastor Aubrey's face. And then you've been arrested, and then you're in the court of law here in the UAE, and the honorable judge asks you what defense you have for yourself, and you walk right up to the judge and spit in his face. You wouldn't even have the opportunity to do that because you would be behind bars for the rest of your life in a miserable condition. Same response, different result. Why? Because the authority that you have transgressed again is greater. That's the kind of argument the author is utilizing here. He's going from the lesser to the greater. Remember chapter 1, the angels are far, far lower, far, far inferior to the sun. And yet the message that those angels delivered, the law, was so firm that any sin against the law brought retribution, punishment. And the author is saying, we have received a message of salvation from one who is far, far greater than the angels, from God's own son. And thus, if we neglect to hear this message, the punishment to be expected would be far, far greater than what they experienced who disobeyed the old covenant law. And you only need to read the Old Testament to see the terrifying judgment that the people of Israel uh, received when they rebelled against God's word. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And an entire generation died in that wilderness. Some of them, the earth opened up and swallowed them alive. Others were bitten by serpents and died. And then when they came into the promised land and their hearts drifted away from the Lord towards idolatry, all of the curses of the covenant that were read earlier today came upon them. They were afflicted with famine, with plagues that wiped away part of the population. They were besieged by enemies and things got so desperate that they were dying of starvation and hunger that they even went mad and cannibalized their own offspring. And finally, they were led away out of the promised land into exile, in chains, into doom in Babylon. All the curses of the covenant came upon them and were fulfilled to the very last word. And friends, what the author is saying here is that we would face a far, far greater curse should we neglect the message that we have received from the far greater messenger, the divine son of God, who has promised us a far greater salvation if we obey him. Notice the phrase there. Notice the phrase in verse 3. How shall we escape we not only face the prospect of judgment and temporal punishment upon this earth, but we face the prospect of judgment and eternal punishment forever under the infinite wrath and fury of the almighty, infinite God in the fire of hell. And there will be no escape. And so hear these words, I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you. I want to urge you. I want to caution you not to neglect this message. Dear friend, if you're here this morning and your heart is not with Christ, all of life is a drifting for you. And judgment is coming. Flee to Christ. 
He's the only safety. He's the only refuge from the eternal punishment that you will face for your sins before Almighty God. I want to speak to my Christian brothers and sisters who are drifting, especially if you've been chronically absent from gathered worship with God's people. If you have not been paying attention to God's word, I want to exhort you this morning. Do you fear the Lord? Or are you taking his patience and his mercy, his kindness for granted? So many have drifted. And maybe this is you. And the common excuse is this. It's just, it's just a desire for safety. Oh, pastor, I'm scared of the virus. And yes, I don't doubt there are a few with genuine serious health concerns for whom staying home is necessary. But that's overwhelmingly the minority. No, maybe you've been quarantined. I'm not talking about you. I'm speaking with those for whom every area of their life, right down to exercising in the gyms and all of that, every area of life has gone functionally back to normal except when it comes to church attendance. Friend, if that's you, your fear of this virus has simply become an excuse to pardon yourself from your spiritual duties to God. And even if you're genuinely afraid, let's reason this out. Let's reason this out a little bit. The chances of dying of COVID in this country with the, va with the vaccination rates that, that we have and with the treatments that we have and the level of immunity that is in the general population right now, the chances of dying of COVID right now are literally around 0.1%. You actually have a far greater chance of being killed in a car accident, and yet you get in your car and drive everywhere. May I humbly submit to you, dear friend, that perhaps your fear is in the wrong place. That perhaps you are fearing this virus or fearing death more than you fear the one who holds Life and death and your eternal destiny, heaven and hell, the one who holds all of these things in his hand, God Almighty, who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell, that is the one you must fear. You will stand before him in judgment. He is the holy righteous judge and you cannot escape him. Don't fear a virus more than you fear the divine judge of heaven and earth. These Hebrew Christians were in genuine spiritual danger and physical danger. They were being persecuted for their faith. You read the letter to the Hebrews and you'll see chapter 6, some of them had lost property. Many of them had been imprisoned. Gathering with the church could mean being arrested and being put in prison or worse, it could mean the loss of life itself, being put to death. And yet the author exhorts them Pay attention to God's word. For otherwise, there will be no escape from judgment. The consequence of not paying attention to his word will be a just judgment, a righteous judgment for your sins that you will have to face. A severe punishment that will far exceed anything in your worst nightmares, my friend. How will you escape? How shall we escape?
Well, this text shows us the hope and means of escaping God's judgment. Which leads to the third reason that the author gives us for why we must pay attention. We must pay attention first because of the danger of drift. Second, because of the severity of punishment. And finally, we must pay attention because of the greatness of salvation. Because of the greatness of salvation that is provided in Christ. Look again at verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Friends, though the judgment that we deserve for our sin is so great, yet the salvation that is provided in Christ is greater, granted by so great a Savior. Notice how this great salvation has come to us and has been confirmed to us. It was declared at first by the Lord, he says. God the Son himself took on flesh, became a man, and was the first preacher of the gospel. He came saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He declared concerning his mission, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He promised and then he fulfilled. He died on the cross. And on the third day he rose again, having prophesied that he would do that. And then he says, repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name should be proclaimed to all the nations. It was declared at first by the Son of God himself. It was confirmed to us, the author says, by those who heard Jesus declared this gospel. And then he appointed, his divinely appointed messengers, the apostles, to proclaim this gospel. We have the testimony of eyewitnesses who walked with Christ. Those who were commissioned by Christ himself carried this gospel forward, were given God's spirit and inspired to put this down in words so that it has endured for generations and gone to every corner of the world. And then God himself bore witness. God himself bore witness through signs and wonders and various miracles. You know, the miracles of the New Testament, the signs and wonders that we see attending Jesus' ministry and the ministry of the apostles are utterly unique. They are utterly unique in all of history. They have this foundational role of attesting the message. Now, of course, today also we see God work providentially in marvelous and mysterious and powerful ways through healings. I think of the testimony we heard from our brother David Winning concerning Sister Anna last week at the prayer meeting. Things that defy medical explanation. But the miracles of the New Testament are utterly unique. People born without sight begin to see. Those who are lame from birth begin to walk. The deaf hear. The dead rise. Jesus goes to the tomb and calls out a man who has been buried for four days. With three words, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus springs to life. And we see all of this confirming the message, confirming the messenger. No other message, no other messenger, no other religion has been marked by signs and wonders and miracles of this sort. God himself bearing witness. And then of course God bears witness by the distribution of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down, the coming of the Spirit and his gifts in the church confirmed the message 
of salvation. It's a story of the book of Acts. And of course, amazingly here, we see that the entire triune God has borne witness to this salvation. God the Son coming and accomplishing the salvation and declaring it. God the Father bearing witness through signs and wonders and miracles. And then God the Spirit coming and distributing gifts to the church. The triune God himself has attested this great salvation. What is the message of this salvation? That we are all sinners before a holy and righteous God. That we all deserve eternal punishment for not listening to Him, for not paying attention, for rebelling against His holy laws. And yet God in His mercy and His grace and His love for sinners has sent His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who lived the perfect life, never drifting from God's ways and God's word, in perfect obedience as our representative, died the perfect death on the cross, pouring out his blood, bearing upon himself the punishment that sinners deserve, taking completely the judgment that we deserve, a sacrificial death as our substitute. And now whoever repents and believes in him has eternal life. The author will unpack this salvation more and more as we'll see next week. We have rescue from slavery to Satan and sin and death. Ever struggled with the fear of death? You can be free of that fear in Jesus. We have cleansing, forgiveness of sin, pardon for guilt. And we have the hope of eternal glory as Jesus has gone before us and is leading us forward into the heavenly city that God has prepared for his people. This salvation is yours, dear friend. Is yours if you will flee to Christ. Pay attention to him. Put your trust in him. Resolve to live for him. All of us are in constant danger of drift. But we have a rescue. We have a sure and steady anchor for our souls in Christ. God's own son who addresses us in God's word. May we always pay attention to him. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above.